0: Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet, and today I have a fabulous new guest with me, uh, new to the show, but definitely not new in the podcast circles in our community. I'm sure everybody has heard of him, but if not, um, welcome, Mr. Will Spencer. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, Janet. How are you?
0: Fantastic. Fantastic. So, tell the listeners a little bit about you and how you got started on your journey.
1: Which journey? There are so many.
0: <laughs> all of them. So all of them. I've starting, was born starting your starting your uh you know your site and your um you know speaking about mm-hmm. the renaissance of men. Like what? How did that become your brainchild? And and tell me about that
1: sure so I started the Renaissance of men podcast thank you that there are so many journeys that that all what <laughs> weave together that I have to ask first just to make sure I I, I pick the right one so uh, I started the Renaissance of men podcast uh, three years ago so I just had my three year anniversary which was congratulations. pretty
0: congratulations yeah thank
1: you thank you so um I started the podcast because I discovered uh, that there were millions of men around the world that were asking the same question that I was what does it mean to be a man mm-hmm. I had been asking that question of myself since around like 2000 2001 after a course on psychology that I took in college and then uh, in 2013 I discovered an organization called the mankind project which did a weekend men's initiation and on that weekend I discovered that there were dozens of men in that weekend alone that had been asking that question and that the mankind project was an organization of 60 or 80,000 men around the world. That was set up basically to help men, you know, answer it for themselves. And then fast forward five years and I discovered what's called the manosphere uh, and, and the, the video the videos on YouTube, the books, Right, that had been written uh, discussions on Reddit, the whole quote unquote the red pill, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I was taking a look at the stuff that the Mankind Project did about men's inner work, right, about dealing with grief and shame and and things like that, which are very real things that that many men and women struggle with. Right, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered that in the manosphere, they weren't really dealing with men's inner stuff at all, they were dealing with men's outer stuff, like job, income, fitness, et cetera. And I, I looked at these two halves and I'm like, that's very interesting what's going on here. And then I started doing more reading and I realized that the, that the mankind project was from an era called the mythopoetic men's movement, right? Which, it, which began in the 1980s and the man and the manosphere was more from like the 2010s, but that then there was the pickup movement in between the two. And I'm like, wait a minute, mythopoetics, pickup manosphere, and there's a whole new movement. And I realized that it was linear progression of discussion about the nature of masculinity that had been going on in different ways since the 1980s. Okay. So I started the Renaissance of Men podcast to document for people to let men know that this conversation was happening. Uh, and so that's the whole nature of the podcast. It's changed quite a bit because uh, not long after, actually shortly before I, I started the podcast, I got baptized, became Christian, and that has become an increasing part of my life over the past three years. And and so has it been become part of the dialogue about masculinity as well. So I started the podcast to let men know that there is this international, worldwide, multi-decade dialogue about masculinity that had been going on, so that men can find their own way into the conversation.
0: So, do you think <clears throat> with the things that are going on nowadays, the um, you know trying to demasculinize men or or feminize them in mm-hmm. a way, how dangerous do you think that is to society?
1: It's incredibly dangerous. In fact, it's not, it's not that they're trying, it's that they already succeeded.
0: The Mm -hmm. war
1: is over and, and, and essentially like we lost and you, what you have with the Renaissance of men actually is, is men waking up on the battlefield. In fact, I have an hour long PowerPoint presentation that I give called precisely that waking up on the battlefield, like our fathers and depending on generation, grandfathers, even great grandfathers, were taken down by a blitzkrieg offensive that they didn't even know was happening mm-hmm. and they were emasculated long before they knew what was going on like Archie Bunker all in the family right, right? that was a good <clears> example
0: that was the- my era
1: <laughs> right right so that was the beginning when it was culturally and socially okay to make dad into a buffoon mm-hmm. it was o- it was over by then right and it, it there were stages up until that point for example we talk now about pornography but no one remembers that like playboy was started in 1953 mm-hmm. right so this has been going on for a very long time to attempt to uh, emasculate emasculate men so the renaissance of men what it, what it really is in, in in many senses is uh the response of men having in a sense to to give rebirth or resurrect themselves in a way to begin pushing back on a war that's already over so you want to say, like, you, the question was, how dangerous is it? We're seeing how dangerous it is. We're living mm-hmm. in how dangerous it is right now with everything that's happening around us because generationally men have been incapable of standing up. They've been bought and sold or incapable of standing up.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think even more so now because it, you have the really loud voice from the feminists who are, you know, screaming, you don't have a voice. And, you know, basically go sit in a corner and be quiet because, you mm-hmm you know, we're more important than you. And that's the thing um, with any kind of social justice causes or any kind of stuff, you know, in our modern day society is, is the elevation of one group over another yes. to, to the destruction or dismantling of another group. And I'm definitely not a fan of that.
1: Right. Yeah. So there's been two things that have kind of been going on at once and they, and they often get Conflated, one is the um, we'll say the emasculation of men, right? Mm-hmm. That there there's been an active societal effort to um, to emasculate men and take away their their competitive, aggressive tendencies, mm-hmm. right? As well as uh, taking masculine manufacturing jobs and sending them to countries overseas, and so you have men being forced into knowledge work jobs, and those jo- those environments are inherently. Effeminate compared to like manufacturing, Mm -hmm. building things with their hands, right? As as well as a deprioritization of of labor. Like Mm -hmm. there's been a a disrespect to labor. So there's been a suppression of men. Of course, our testosterone levels are declining generationally. I think at least (laughs) part of that is due towards. The denatured food and poisons in our environment. Absolutely. I think some of it, yes. So there's been the, the the suppression of men, and there's also been the elevation of women. And these are two independent. They're 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 mutually supportive of each other, but mm-hmm. they're two independent processes. Right. And so and so you have, and you see a lot of this in the dialogue. It's it's her turn to rise. You you'll hear that language a lot, like the divine feminine rising, mm-hmm. and the idea is that she will rise above the man who's being actively suppressed. And those are right.
0: two separate things. That's very cultish in nature too. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Very, very. So, um, I know that you went to, um, college, uh, one of the, one of the big universities, but what did you go for? What was your, what was your major?
1: I went to Stanford university for, and my major was in communication. Um, I was very interested in human computer interaction mm-hmm. um, and that brand of communication. There's different kinds, there's media, there's documentary film, you know, journalism is part of that. I was interested in human computer interaction, but I left um, and took a couple years off to do a dot-com startup. I eventually did go back and finish my degree, um, but I was, communication was my major.
0: So were you interested in the, in the AI business?
1: This was this was about twenty years ago, so it was um, way before AI. Then, (laughs) way before. Well, actually, I was on I was on the Stanford campus when Google was just getting started. There was a period Mm -hmm. of time where Google was only accessible with a Stanford IP address, and Mm -hmm. so that's when I was introduced to Google at that point in time when they were just a search engine.
0: Right. So you you've always been interested in uh, like the tech side of things, though, right?
1: I think so. I, I think I think. I've always, I've always had aptitudes in both language and, and, and the sciences, but I think languages tend to, tends to be where, where I go more, more naturally.
0: So I know, um, you were on Ellie's show and you had talked about like traveling the world.
1: Mm -hmm. One thumb L. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's she's
0: my best friend. I love her to pieces. Oh,
1: awesome. Mm -hmm. I I had a great time talking to her. Mm -hmm.
0: So one of the things, um, I wanted to ask you about with regards to traveling all over the place, was Mm. it kind of like just for fun or more like a journey basically to try to like, I don't, people always say, find yourself, Mm -hmm. but uh, like find your passion or find what you want to do. Or was there a reason for that?
1: I, what I told someone at the time, was and, and this this was true. It, it was more than this, but this was the best language that I had. What I told someone at the time is that I was looking for God, mm-hmm. and and, and th- but that's for some reason felt it, it didn't quite hit the right notes. Like it it was true, but there was more to it than that. And when I and, and I, I was I never liked the phrase finding myself. I wanted to put myself because I, I carry me with me. Like I'm not going to find me under a rock somewhere. (laughs) Oh, look, there I am. Right. Right. (laughs) Right? I wrote a blog post about that. I wanted to see how I would respond in different situations. So Mm -hmm. I did a bunch of spent time in the countryside and the cities and, and on sailboats in the middle of the ocean and deserts and doing mountain climbing schools and to see how I would respond to different kinds of stressors, let's say. Um, and in that I was trying to understand more about myself, more about the world and more about God is probably the, the real answer.
0: So what did you learn <clears throat> on your journeys?
1: <laughs> uh, we have to pick one of those. Cause, <laughs> cause I don't know, I could probably talk for several hours about everything that I learned, but.
0: Cause it's funny. There's so many people that do that and they, they travel all over the place and I'm like, what did you, what did you learn from mm-hmm. where you were going? And they always say nothing. And I'm like, It's really, it's really hard to say nothing because conditions are so different in, in different places and the way people live is different. And, you know, like learning how to navigate when you're someplace foreign and it's basically like overcoming obstacles and, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, sometimes learning a language. I'm not, I'm not good at learning new languages at all, especially Mm -hmm. at my age. (laughs) I have that brain poop thing
1: (laughs) in more, uh, more caffeine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Caffeine doesn't help me anymore. So did you um, like when you were, when you were traveling, did you take time to like stop and see how different basically everywhere that you went is? Mm-hmm. in regards to how life is here.
1: Yes, that was a big part that I learned. So, so I I'll say the, the most important lesson I learned was this. So I traveled for long enough. I traveled off and on for four years. Mm-hmm. I was, I was gone along. I, in fact, I sold everything I owned, didn't have a place to lay my head in the United States. So I didn't, I came back to visit family a couple times, but over the course of four years, like I was just pretty much on the road for a lot of the time and um during that time something really interesting happened most people will, o- will only travel for long enough that they can see the novelty of a place like they go to some place exotic like oh wow look at that tree look at that dude look at that billboard or whatever it's like it's all new it's all shiny and new and that's great and that is a wonderful reason to travel that's that is the best reason to travel is to experience novelty the sur- the surface and i don't mean that in a bad way the surface level novelty Mm -hmm. That's a big reason why people travel is to experience that. So I traveled for long enough where the surface level novelty of the places that I would visit would wear off very quickly. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but what that allowed me to do was to see through the surface levels of the cultures and see almost like x-ray vision into like backstage or the actual nature of the culture. So I wasn't so taken with surface appearances. I could see, the cultural mechanics that would produce them. Nice. and so and so what that taught me very quickly was how to see the the different things that each culture and each nation around the world struggles with, the different challenges of living in India versus Japan versus Australia, new zealand or or South Korea or wherever, or Mongolia, China, et cetera, like Peru. like I would go to these countries and I would be able to see past. The entrancing, you know, charming exterior to the heart of the culture and <clears throat> begin to see this is what it means to live in this place and to struggle with the challenges unique to where I am. Mm-hmm. And what that did, rather than turning me off to the places I visited, was it helped open my heart to the human condition. And I got to see the different. Nations like different and different cultures, just like different individuals struggle with different things, and that's part of the human condition. And it also helped me understand America so much better because the struggles that we face in America, and again, this was prior to 2020, we're in a little different place now. But the struggles we face in America are unique and they're significant and they have impact on the rest of the world. But what we face as a culture is so different from everybody else. Mm -hmm. Our problems are a blessing in that regard to be struggling with the things that we do. Mm -hmm. And most Americans do not have a good sense of what it means to be in the rest of the world. And to some extent, I don't even just mean Europe. Europe has its own set of challenges as well that most Americans can't see. Same with Australia and New Zealand. But when you travel to literally any other country outside of those that I mentioned, the rest of the world is nothing like it is here. Nothing Mm -hmm. at all. And most Americans have no idea. They can't see it. They may travel to a place, not anymore, but they may travel to a place like China. They'll go to Beijing, Shanghai, you know, see the pandas in Xi'an or something like that. It's not Xi'an; it's something else. And they'll never travel into the countryside. They'll never, they'll never get to go backstage and mm-hmm. see what it actually is to live in China. And so they walk away, being like, "I've been to China. I understand." It's like, "No, no. Have you gone backstage? Have you spent time there to appreciate what the culture is outside of, like,
0: of the big area?"
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so obviously I didn't spend lifetimes in these places, but I traveled long enough to be able to see those things and that mm-hmm. changed my entire perception of the world and the United States as well. In 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 good ways.
0: And I think that that happened for me too. I mean, I've definitely not been like a, anywhere near the places that you've been, but even mm-hmm. like um for people that take cruises all the time and, you know, wherever they port at they may have a little shore excursion or something, but they always tell you, like, uh, don't go out of this this particular area. And if you do, like, uh, Cozumel was like a total eye-opener for me because where, the, where they poured at, it was, you know, really nice. And there was all these little shops and it was very quaint. And then you walk like two blocks past their, quote, safe zone. And it's a whole different world and, you know, there's no running water in a lot of places. There's no plumbing. There's no, you know, they go to the bathroom in buckets and, you know, things like that. And it's little things that we take for granted on such a huge scale. Mm -hmm. You know, we have so much and it's kind of like, what's that? What's that saying? Uh, It's about like our problems. Like, Mm. I wish I had your problems. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And I'm sure people all over the place wish they had the problems that the people in the United States have. Mm. So Mm -hmm. back to the, uh, the Renaissance of men. Um, one of the things that you had talked about before was the Rosie, the Riveter story, right? That I love that. Um, and I, I kind of want you to tell like, a little bit about that and how that fits into the problems that males face Mm -hmm. and, and what that did to our nation.
1: Yeah, so I think you're talking about um, the post that I did on, um, on Instagram when when the men came home. Mm -hmm. So uh, in 2019, I was living in New Zealand, and I was at a weekend workshop. And I was in a in a group, uh, a breakout group with men and women um, in, in, during this weekend workshop and I was talking to one of the women and she was describing about how she, she had been talking to her mother. So her mother would have been, would have been like, you know, greatest generation, you know, World War II generation. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about now, now New Zealand is like a, a nation of like four or 5 million people. Now it's not a very big, not a very big nation. Like it's the size mm-hmm. of the city that I live in right now, Phoenix. But back then New Zealand was like a million people and New Zealand. You know, most people haven't been there, but even today with the internet, it still feels really far away from everything. And so you can imagine, back in the 1940s and the 1950s, it was really far away from everything, oh, right? right? But even, right. Mm. So so in in uh, World War II, New Zealand and Australia sent soldiers to go to fight, um, able-bodied men to go fight. I don't remember how many it was, but it was a significant portion, especially for, for New Zealand, which was a million or so people at the time. Mm -hmm. And so the men went, went off to fight and the women had to stay home and they, uh, they went to work in the factories, right? So they had to take over the manufacturing jobs while the capable men were away fighting in world war II. And so this woman, I'm in the breakout group was telling me about this, about, um, how, about what happened when her, I guess her, her father or her grandfather came back. So while the women were working in the factories, the women discovered their capability because previous to that they had been homemakers while the men had, had been the laborers. So the men went off to be the war fighters and the women became the laborers and the women discovered their capability. And then the men came back and the women of that age said, what do we need the men for? We've Mm -hmm. done it all ourselves. And I remember her telling that to me with like a gleam in her eye, like a feminist gleam in her eye. And like, there was just this moment where it was this spark of it was anger. It was anger mm-hmm. because having known what the men suffered through in world war II, being blown up, shot, watching their friends die, getting injured, you know, their, their buddies sinking to in the bottom of the ocean in a blown up battleship, you know, the deprivation, starvation, POWs, whatever, these men go and literally fight for freedom for the world and they come home and the women are like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like the arrogance, the arrogance, Mm -hmm. it's insane. And it feeds into today because men have never said we don't need women. And yet there's this feminist strain out there that says, you know what? No, we don't need men at all. And that's been going on since the beginning. And so Mm -hmm. there is a degree of arrogance within women that women will criticize men for our arrogance. There's a degree of arrogance within women that is profound cosmic level. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was an example of it. And so I had to contain my anger in that moment and express it to her very clearly what it was that she had just said. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she cried when I let her see the picture because she hadn't checked that pride and arrogance within herself. So
0: uh, how did she have a discussion with you after that? Like how, like telling her how that made you feel, did that change her mind at all?
1: I would, I would say so. Um, Now I didn't set out to make her cry. Right. It wasn't my intention, but um, I let her, I let her know that Mm -hmm. this is, you know, these are the men who came back and this is what you're telling them. And she got it. I don't know what the ultimate impact on her, we'll say political views are, Mm -hmm. but you know, I think that there's a a broad based ignorance of them and and taking for granted of the male condition um, where it's just like, whatever, like men are just men, disposable. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's some of that in society generally and and men, we have a sense of our own disposability in many ways, you know, women and children first, if I have to give my life, you know, to save, to save somebody. I'm a man, I'm programmed, you know, quote unquote designed to do that. But, mm-hmm. you know, having a sense of our own disposability as men is very different from being disposed of, is very right. different from being treated as disposable. Right. And so I, I think I don't I will never know if I actually changed her mind, but something landed in her heart that she hadn't considered. So I pray that she's think she thinks differently now.
0: So do you know um like when the "Quote unquote feminism actually started
1: mm. <laughs> the garden." <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: <laughs> true. <laughs> yes, yes. So,
1: in the form in the form that we think of it today, mm-hmm. I think it's it's probably safest to say that it began. The seeds of it were planted during the the French Revolution mm-hmm. um, and took shape through the Enlightenment and then really took off in a very powerful way during the industrial revolution. Right. Because during the industrial revolution, um, a couple things happened. First men were taken out of the home and they went to go work in factories. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the father was no longer able to be there with his son, daughter, sons, daughters, and, and wife during the day he was off somewhere. And so the, the wife was no longer able to manage both the kids and the household at once. So then you have, um, then you have the the birth of the public school system right, right is where that comes from mm-hmm. and then something else happened during the industrial revolution that we don't really understand much of today because we take it for granted many of the things that women produced as being part of homemakers like textiles foods mm-hmm. etc became right. industrialized so mm-hmm. women's ho- homemaking job got taken up by the factories right and, right. then when you have, and then when you have World War II and you begin to have mass production, you know, where you no longer have these big ironworks anymore, then it suddenly starts to get the point where it's like, well, women can do these jobs too. Men are gone all day. The household has become automated, right? You have dishwashers and stuff like that. So you have mm-hmm. the progressive making the home easier to manage. And women are highly capable. Of course, women are highly capable. And so they want to do something that requires them to flex their capability. The home used to require that. It doesn't require that anymore. So women went looking for ways that they could be capable naturally. I think
0: that's really sad too. And and I hope people understand the message in that. I am one of those people. I do not like technology stuff. I don't like things with bells and whistles and, you know, whatever. I mean, I literally will still wash dishes by hand. Mm -hmm. We have a dishwasher. I would rather wash them by hand. I would rather uh, make stuff by hand. I would rather create things, you know, and make my own products and stuff like that because I cannot stand the fact that it has, all of that has fallen in line to make us lazy and Mm -hmm. complacent in our lives Mm. because you definitely have the time As a, you know, a female that stays home, you have the time to take care of the kids and to do the house and whatever. But what do we have now? Technology. We have our phones. And so that allows us to sit on our butts a lot and not do and not create things. Yes. And that's why I don't like technology at all, because it enables us to be, you know, lazy. And it destroyed face-to-face communication and those personal relationships of, you know, meeting someone at their house or, you know, having get-togethers at their house. People don't always do those kind of things anymore.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, I'll, I agree with all of that. You know, there's a real sense in which you know, I think about food a lot. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will buy packaged, pre-made kind of food, whether it's microwave meals or Because it's
0: easy. And they're lazy. <laughs> that's right. That's right.
1: Versus eating food that's based on ingredients that you make yourself. Right. And it requires more effort, like naturally. Like we, you know, we, we as humans, we seek ease, we seek comfort. And for most of our lives, that was very necessary because life was hard. But right. now we found we found our way where everything is so easy and you can have things delivered to you at the, the top of a screen. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a king, a kingly amount of wealth available to you within hours right. Or if you want to get in the car and drive somewhere, you know, a couple blocks and as a result, now we have to do the opposite. We have to seek out challenge, Mm -hmm. but we, when we lived in challenge, we would seek out ease. Um, but living in ease, it's much harder to seek out challenge. And Mm -hmm. so that's a big part. That's a big part of what's happening with men right now is they're discovering their own innate uh, capacity after living in comfort for so long. Mm-hmm. And as they grow in their strength, they start creating a lot of friction with the environment that wants to keep them weak. It's just what <laughs> we been we talking about.
0: I love that though. Friction away. As far as I'm concerned, <laughs> because I'm a, I'm the very old school of thought where I believe that the man is the head of the household. The woman is the helpmate. She has her roles. Mm. I don't, I don't like, um, like I don't, I would never expect my husband to like do things that I consider to be female chores. Sure, around the house, I don't think that's appropriate because he doesn't expect me to do his job. So, <laughs> you know what well, I mean. The way of
1: thinking of it, yeah,
0: yeah. And I think when you know, a lot of the, I think a lot of destruction happened because I grew up back in the era where you know you. Uh, prayed before school every day, and mm-hmm. you said the Pledge of Allegiance, and you know, whatever. And I think as time went on, and they removed discipline and they removed, you know, prayer from school, and all of those things, that it definitely has snowballed uh, the destruction of traditional values. I guess, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: I'm not a fan. Not a fan at all. It hasn't made people happier. No. Well, no, because our, you know, suicide rate and depression rate is through the roof. Yes. Right now. And I saw like a graphic earlier that was talking about, you know, the younger generation and the people that identify in the, you know, trans community or whatever. And it's like, Fifty-seven percent of them were already on mental health drugs. It's terrible. That's astounding. That's astounding.
1: To parents, that's honestly though. At that point, like I don't think it's I I don't incriminate the kids so much as as their parents, which who their parents have failed to provide a stable environment for them. And I was I I was I was speaking at a conference about a week or so ago, and uh, it's all about um, biblical masculinity. mm -hmm. And I was talking with. One of the organizers, the pastor, something like that, about I don't understand how secular couples even stay married anymore. Right. Like, w- like why? Why stay married? Why get married mm-hmm. in the first place? I mean, if, right. unless God's commanding you to. But if you're married, like, why? Like, what's keeping you together besides inertia? Mm-hmm. Like, ah, it's just right. easier to, right? And so you have these frayed nets that children are born into and they just fall through the nets and mm-hmm. they get caught by TikTok.
0: Voila. Right. <laughs> Uh, all kinds of Snapchat. Yeah. 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 We, you know, and I was a single parent for a long time and my, my rule was there's never a phone at the table. Mm. Um, and every day we're going to have a discussion about, you know, what's going on in your life. How are you feeling? What'd you do today? What'd you learn? You know, the whole nine yards and there's society has made us so lazy to the point of parents have trouble checking their kids' homework, or they don't know how to help with homework. (laughs) They don't have dialogue or discussion with their children. Mm -hmm. And it's like the babysitter is whatever device you can give them, whether it's the TV or an iPad or something. And that's like their babysitter in, in place of you.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. That's where, and that's not only is it their babysitter, it's where they get their values right? and it's where they get their social shaping from. Because I, I don't know right. that we have a good understanding that, you know, children, they, they do need to be socialized. Naturally, mm-hmm. we all do. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what are the influences that they're being exposed to that are setting their expectations for their life mm-hmm. and the, and the standards that they believe that they're accountable to because especially teenagers, as they're beginning to understand what it is to be part of a society Mm-hmm. they they're they're internalizing what the social expectations are. Right. And if you as a parent, you know, obvi- this is why the popularity of homeschooling. It's like I would like to control what Absolutely. my children's social influences are because right. I don't trust the public anymore.
0: Nor should I. No, and I think it's it's imperative for parents these days to, you know, instill in their kids morals and values and You know, raise them up to be proper young, uh, you know, adults Mm. and and be accountable for and responsible for things that that they do and know that there's there's going to be accountability for your actions. Yes. You know, and so many parents, I don't I don't know if people forgot how to parent maybe Mm. or maybe they never knew how to parent. Probably both. And it's kind of destroyed uh, several generations of children growing up is because they don't have that, you know, moral fabric or upbringing Mm -hmm. to guide them. Mm -hmm. So when they get into the school system, they don't know that what they're being told is wrong. Yes,
1: I think it's that. I think it's that. And I think it's parents lost their confidence in their ability to shape their children's minds. Right. I think they 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 bought into the propaganda that says, "Oh, if I bring my child up with a set of values, I'm brainwashing them." Mm-hmm. Right? And they they think that the they think that so- society is neutral and like whatever my values are, I don't, you know, we'll we'll bring them up. I don't want to impose my values on my children like mm-hmm. without questioning like society is going to as impose its values. Right. They're not neutral.
0: The teacher's going <laughs> to impose
1: right. hers. That's right. And, and I think, his. yeah, and, and yeah, increasingly it's hers, right? right. Or they theirs mm-hmm. or whatever, right? right? And, and so, you know, I know many people of my generation, their parents just like, well, you know, I'll teach a couple things, but figure it out on your own kid, Psst, mm-hmm. bye. Right. And there's a lack of confidence there. It's like, you were supposed to give me the programming that I needed to succeed. Mm -hmm. Saying stay out of trouble is not the programming that I need to succeed. Mm -mm. No, especially because stay out of trouble is insufficient.
0: (laughs) And in what world is the kid going to listen to just that? They're not. Yeah. Correct. Yes. So tell me, um, like what made you decide to, to, uh, go through with baptism?
1: Hmm. So we were talking about travel earlier and I was talking about how I was looking for God. So, um, And usually when people ask me about my journey, this is the journey they're asking me about, which is why I always have to uh, clarify. So I I grew up, I was born Jewish. I grew up in a liberal, secular, atheist household. So there was no real religious education. We did the practices, but it wasn't, there was really any, like the theology never touched ground. I went to a Catholic high school and then I went to- um, (laughs) yeah exactly and so then i moved to the bay area and the bay area i got involved in you know the new age eastern mysticism Mm -hmm. world psychedelics and buddhism and hinduism and all that and then i got into the psychological world right so i was kind of marinating in all these different ideas and when i was going to travel before i went to travel i went to the burning man festival it was the third time i had been and at the Burning Man Festival, I, I was uh, in a camp. I found my way into a, a Christian ministry group and I had a vision of Jesus Christ. But I didn't really know what that meant at the time. I just thought that all religions were equal paths to truth. And I had just collected the last Pokemon or whatever. <laughs> like,
0: oh, right. It's <laughs> literally <laughs> this kind of you got way your trading were- cards. <laughs> yeah,
1: Exactly. <laughs> So when I set out to travel, I wanted to go have a bunch of different religious experiences and understand the religions of the world. That was a, that was a a core intention of it to find God in the religious practices and in the country and the people and in myself, like Mm -hmm. that was, that was the big overarching goal. So then I did that. So I went down to South America and I participated in like 15 ayahuasca ceremonies. And then I was in India and I went to a bunch of ashrams and went to a, a giant Hindu festival of 190 million people I went to a Buddhist, a 10 day silent Buddhist meditation retreat. And I did the new age breathwork meditations and, and did all the spiritual stuff I could. And along the way, I, I discovered that there was this thing called evil because I, I discovered uh, I discovered the reality of child sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, okay, that's evil, right? I think if right. we're going to, if we're all, if everyone on earth is going to agree that something is evil, you know, selling, buying and selling children for the purposes of sexually abusing them would qualify. Right. 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 Absolutely. Absolutely. And so when I would bring this up in many of these new age, um, environments, people would start to get very uncomfortable because in the new age world, which involves Hinduism and Buddhism and all this stuff, and they're all reflections, it's a longer discussion, but they're all essentially of the same view that all is one. Mm -hmm. But when I would bring up the notion that like, well, here's this thing that's obviously evil, how can you say that this is part of God, right? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, God, like all is one. Is that, and all is one and all is God. Is that God too? And people would get really uncomfortable because they had a choice of either saying, no, it's not God, in which case not everything is God. And so what else, what is that? Mm-hmm. Or they would have to say yes, which is a really morally untenable position. Right. <laughs> right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so it would make people really uncomfortable, which meant that I didn't have a good answer. like well what are you going to do with this and no and people would change the subject and whatever so i didn't like that so i came back to the united states and remember i I mentioned that i had uh, found my way into this christian ministry group of burning man i maintained friendships with all those people and they sent me a book when i got back to the us it was simply christian by nt wright that's the name of the book and in that book there's the author talks about how christ was up on the cross. And there was this giant wave of evil that was coming to crash over him. And through his death and resurrection, he drove back the wave of evil forever. And when I read that image, I got it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, here's a religion. That's actually talking about evil. And so then I read uh, in a way that lands. And so then I read mere Christianity by CS Lewis. And then I read the screw tape letters. And what I always say is like, it's the first time anyone had ever talked to me about Christianity. Like I was an adult. Mm-hmm. I'd never met a proper apologist. I'd never met anybody who could do apologetics before. Right. And as soon as I encountered apologetics, I was like, this is finally someone who can answer my questions. Mm-hmm. And so after that, I was like, I got baptized without even really knowing what I was signing up for. But I had mm-hmm. tried everything else. And so let's go this way. <laughs> it turned out it was the way.
0: So how did that change your life? <laughs>
1: <laughs> every way, every mm-hmm. possible way. It didn't happen right away. It took, it, it, it took about, oh, a year and a half, two, three years. It's, it's speeding up. I don't really know how else to put it. But if you go back and you listen to my podcast from the very beginning, you can actually, I mean, there's 150 or so episodes, 145 episodes now. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a long journey, mm-hmm. but you can hear the subjects change. Right. As I talk about masculinity from a secular perspective as I began talking about it from a Christian perspective and it rewired my entire approach to life, to myself, to my past. I began to perceive the heart of stone that I had been living with. I perceived all of the sinful ways that I thought were just life. All right. the things that I did that I was, Oh yeah, of course. And I began to see just how sinful and rebellious I was being and how wrong I was. And I knew it the whole time, but everyone else is doing it. Right? It was kind of the mindset that I had. And so it's, it's completely transformed my life in every possible way. And it continues to my understanding of myself, my understanding of my past, my choices, the things I say, the things I do, the things I have, my decorations in my apartment, the things I have in storage, the way that I think about my travels, mm-hmm. you know, I thought I was participating in all these different world religions. And I can see now that they were many of them were just straight up demonic practices, masquerading as religion. And I can see that now. Mm-hmm. And here's the, here's the good part. I can speak into it because i kept my wits about me because when i was going through all these experiences i had my eyes open and so i paid very close attention by default to everything that i was going through and so now i can see with crystal clarity all of these new age practices that are part of america now so you have major podcasters like joe rogan talking about ayahuasca everyone knows about yoga people say things like karma right Mm -hmm. meditation etc i can I can say that I've done all of that stuff more than most people have. And I can say precisely why it's wrong. Mm -hmm. And so God has redeemed that whole part of my story and he did not have to do that. That was a gift. I didn't earn that. So praise God. I
0: love that. I love that though, because anytime I have a discussion with somebody um, like my podcast has changed Mm. tremendously um, over the years as well. And now, you know, there's a lot of discussion about god and you know how god works in your life and what he's done for you and that's one of the things that i try to tell people you know that that aren't believers yet and i say you know once you do believe and you accept him as your savior your mind gets clear oh yeah and you become a very different person and you're like full of joy yep. and you know, and you can say, Oh my, I didn't have enough patience in that situation. I should yeah. show them, you know, grace and mercy. I should have more patience for him. Like all of those things become abundantly clear to you mm-hmm. and, you know, just sharing, uh, that deep love with other people is phenomenal. Yep.
1: Yep. So. That's real. That's real. In fact, I remember when I met those friends at, at Burning Man, the Christian ministry group, I went to go visit them uh, in in Idaho where they lived that Christmas. So this is 2015. I got baptized in 2020. So this is a few years before. And I remember being around them and being like, they don't have any angst. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Right. It's, exactly. It's, Right. It mm-hmm. seemed very um, otherworldly and very detached. And I don't want to say naive because they're not naive. It was just like mm-hmm. they were something I couldn't relate to. And it shows up in Christian music as well. Right. Yeah. There's no angst in it. And I couldn't relate to that. Now I still do like music with a little angst in, and I think it's, we live in angsty kind of age right. era, right? So Wait, I
0: still gotta listen to my metal music every once in a while. Sure, yeah, it's a, it's
1: a, <laughs> like it, drums and bass are
0: okay. It's
1: it's okay to have lower <laughs> frequencies, but I, I I couldn't relate to it, and now I can, and now I right. can understand it way better because there's a degree of like I don't know I don't know how to put this because it it doesn't sound right, but it's true. It's like I'm not really afraid of death,
0: right? Right. I'm,
1: yeah, exactly. Like, I'm not looking forward to dying. You know what I mean? Like, I, I like not a big fan of pain or any of that stuff. But what I mean is that, like, the essential fear isn't there.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: was living with it for so long in ways that I didn't understand. Right. And, like, the, like, the more I think about it, like, eternal life in paradise? Mm-hmm. It's a Sign real me home. up. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> can I go now?
1: <laughs> right. I get. I did a. I did a podcast about this. I uh, my podcast. It was a, a solo episode. Ask me anything about the nature of hell. And I talked about that. About how like it's the greatest promise in the world. Mm-hmm. How can you? Pa- it's the greatest deal ever. Like all you have to do is repent and believe, and then right. you get to live in eternity with God. That's all you got to right. do. And some
0: people won't take that deal. (laughs) I don't understand. Yeah. And it's, it's so hard for people uh, to accept it because, and I think a lot of it stems from the problems with church person by church. I mean, building. Um, And, and my husband and I have experienced this two churches in a row now where they had a split, a separation because there was things that were not kosher that we're going on. And I think a lot of people have been through that where like growing up in Catholic school, you can't ask questions. Mm. Um, you know, you're to do what you're told, believe everything that you're told. You can't seek knowledge or wisdom outside of whatever. Um, yeah. There's, you know, uh, pedophilia in churches, there's financial things in churches, there's all kinds of stuff. And so I think that people have been so jaded by the church, we like to call it church org, mm. <laughs> church.org, right? Mm. Um, where it's it's so much like a a political system or a business now where your numbers your cattle that are being herded through uh, to raise their funding. And that's literally right. it. And they don't teach the word of God anymore. Most churches do not read from the Bible. Yep. They give sermons on whatever topic they want to talk about and maybe one or two lines here and there mm-hmm. in a series. Yep. And I think people are just very jaded altogether.
1: The metaphor that I give people, cause this is what worked for me is that imagine that you grow up seeing basketball, but mm-hmm. what you're watching is the court has big holes in it. The crowd is rowdy and mm-hmm. drunk. The players are uncoordinated and bricking the bricking the ball and getting mm-hmm. in fights with the audience. And it's just, it's just painful to watch mm-hmm. and like, this is basketball, right? Right. And it's it's just it's just a mess. And then someone actually hands you the rule book. It's like, no, here, read this. This is what basketball is. And you read the rule book and you see, like, oh, basketball is an incredible game. Mm-hmm. But you've been watching something that has not been played very well by people whose hearts right. aren't in it. And that's and that's what I tend to tell people because that's what it was for me. Like I I didn't have as strong associations because again, I didn't grow up in a a Christian family. I I didn't really understand the difference between Christianity and Catholicism. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. get all that. It was all just one thing to me. But when I actually met and read proper apologists and understood the rules for what they are, I'm like, this is glorious. Mm -hmm. But most people haven't been exposed to somebody who can do that for them.
0: Yeah. And what you said earlier about, you know, going to visit those people and, you know, how they they didn't have like any worries or anything. Mm, they didn't have it, any angst. They didn't, it, right? they, they were relaxed. I have, yeah. I have people ask me that all the time because this year has literally been like a series of tornadoes, one right after the other. You for know, you personally it, or in the yes, world? It, oh. For me personally. And people are like, How are you so calm? And <laughs> I'm like because God has this, yeah. But but what about all the stuff going on in the news and whatever? And I'm like, it doesn't concern me mm-hmm. because God has this. God has a plan, and His will be done. Yeah. And so if I'm supposed to uh, be beheaded or suffer, that's what's going to happen, and He's in control of that, you know. And so that's I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Like, either way, I'm okay. And so I'll, people are really easily led into fear mm-hmm. uh, by everything. And it's I think it's because they have a either a lack of faith or too little faith yep. for, you know, what the bigger picture is and the bigger plan. If you don't have
1: God, if you don't have an active... Living awareness of God's presence, mm-hmm. which is the gift of the gift of the Christian faith, is the gift of faith, right? That's a that's a big part of it. I think I was reading right. that in was it First, First Corinthians, probably, is mm-hmm. I think where I was, or Romans, perhaps. But um, that is a gift of of a profession of faith, repentant belief, is that you receive the gift of faith and you have a living connection with God and a living connection with Christ. It's a real thing. It's mm-hmm. not like you write a letter and you get a letter back. It's a felt right. it's a felt experience, right and for people who don't have that, what's going on right now must be incredibly disorienting, awful. Mm-hmm. awful. Yeah, like, but but for those who have that certainty, it's like, well, God's in control. Like, mm-hmm. and it sounds so silly; it's, it almost sounds cheap to say it, and, mm-hmm. and because it's been said so many times. One of the things I really don't like—I care a lot about language—and one of the things I really don't like is Christianese. I right. Really, I really don't like Christianese right. because it it takes things that are really important. And it trivializes them, mm-hmm. and because you know things like "I'll pray for you," like I, right. like I I, I witness, "I'll pray for you." It's like I don't say that unless I'm actually going to pray for somebody, right? That's but people, same. Yeah, they'll just throw it out there, and like God is in control. It's like don't just throw that out there, because by by just c- casually tossing that out, I don't think you're doing that, by the way, but people do. Right. And so by just throwing that out there, you've taken an incredibly profound and comforting idea and mm-hmm. used it to dismiss an unbeliever's very serious concerns and right. fears.
0: Absolutely. That's not
1: what that is for. Right. You're supposed to be offering reassurance of God's sovereignty. And right. Christianese is, a, it, I should probably write more about this, but Christianese is a way that Christians you know, signal and compete with each other about who the real believer is. And then mm-hmm. all the people and all the non-believers are watching this whole thing go down. And it's like, you could actually be inviting people into an experience through your use of language, but instead you're using it wrongly. Right. And so I've become Absolutely. very sensitive to that. Hey,
0: you you are a hundred percent correct, and you know the the whole thing about praying for for I'll pray for you, and a lot of times it is very empty words. Yep. And people know me so well uh, because I'm big on intercessory prayer. Mm, okay. And I literally have it's like a scroll in my brain Mm. at night that I go down and I pray for anything I've seen during the day where somebody needs something, anything I feel um, that I get, you know, like a sense that somebody's struggling with something Mm. the whole nine yards. And that is literally how I fall asleep every single night. Or, you know, if I'm, if I'm talking to, somebody on like Facebook or something and they mention like their family member or somebody needs something or whatever. I'm like on it immediately. I immediately put down my phone, which I I don't spend much time on social media anyway, but I immediately put down my phone and go to work praying. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. but you're very, you're very right about wording. (laughs) It matters. It matters a lot. It and does. especially if, it, if you're talking to somebody that's not sure if they want to be a believer or not.
1: That's right. That's right. And in, in that case, you have to be very careful. I try to be very careful not to use language that will turn them off, mm-hmm. not to use, right. and it's no different. It's really no different from being in the workplace. Right. Like if you're talking with somebody that you don't work with and you use workplace jargon, Mm-hmm. They're gonna be like, I don't know what you're talking about. Exactly. Right.
0: Like my what husband, he talks to me about tech stuff, and I'm like, What? What? <laughs> right. But but but
1: also maintaining like the tech stuff that he'd be talking about in the Christian context is like I met a Christian and he was a jerk, mm-hmm. right? Or whatever. And so when you use jargon, right, not only do they not know what you mean, they're actually turned off by it and they stop mm-hmm. listening. And mm-hmm. so I work very hard to find ways of expressing things that capture the same idea without using jargon. Right. Right. And 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 like I understand that Christians are their own people, like we're our own people, our own nation on earth and we have our own customs. Mm-hmm. I get all that. But we're also part of the world and we have to learn to communicate with the world. And so right. and Christianese it's shorthand, but mm-hmm. it, it 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 doesn't help. In many cases it doesn't help.
0: You know something I just thought of when uh when you were talking about uh, God is in control, mm. and how people will randomly throw that out there. Um, you know what it reminds me of is Q, the whole Q thing. Mm. Remember mm-hmm. that yep. one was the big deal and just yeah. the plan because Q's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Q's in control. You know, whatever. And and so um, that just was like a funny thing that popped into my head when we were <laughs> yeah we were discussing that and people got so turned off by that topic. Mm. Can you imagine how they feel what the God is in control? Now I'm telling people, God's in control my life. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and you have to make the steps. You have to make the conscious decision, whether you accept him in your life or not. And, and how he can actually change things for you. So. Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's funny. I think, um, so I followed the Q phenomenon since the beginning
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know, I, I, I talk about that. There were like three phases of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and the first phase was like, there was actually something interesting going on. Mm-hmm. Right. And then it became, and then it became entirely about the Russia thing. And then it, it became kind of a re-election campaign. So I don't mm-hmm. know. I, I watch it change over time. It but was the, almost
0: like different people doing yes. it.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 in the very beginning there was, there was some, Organic phenomenon happening. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know what it was, but certainly they were talking about many of the Jeffrey Epstein kind of stuff, and that was mm-hmm. how a lot of people got exposed to those topics. And those topics right. are unfortunately real. And now, so now you have—is um, it the Sound of Freedom? Is that mm-hmm. it? Operation? Right. Is, yeah. And so, like mm-hmm. the, now, that's a big you know mainstream movie that made a pretty big impact, and people mm-hmm. make Jeffrey Epstein and jokes like on late night TV. So now it's like part of our culture, which is bizarre to think about. Right. But back, but back in like what 2017 lot. I mean, I knew about it. Like I, I knew about it from 2013, but back in 2017 people were like, they, it was blowing their minds. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and so, um, and then over time, I guess when it took off, like suddenly it became political, you know, political right. and, and cultural, but it's a whole different, it was like different people. That's a good way of putting it. Mm-hmm. But I think when you, when people want to hear that someone's in control, they want to hear that, like someone's driving the bus. And so mm-hmm. for generations of, of Americans, who haven't been properly preached at about the sovereignty of God, God's in mm-hmm. control. They'll take the white hats or they'll take Trump or whatever. Right. right? If right. if they can't have God, they'll take the the, the nearest good guy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I think it's was pushing some of those buttons when people really needed to hear Right. God is in control.
0: Right. You're absolutely right. And one of the things about that, I think um, that got a lot of people is people don't want to be alone. They don't want to be isolated and they want to feel like they're part of something. And so it was really easy for people to follow that because they were part of a group, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and they found other people that would listen to them and that accepted them and accepted their ideas and, and things like that. Imagine what the world would be like if more people followed God. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Amazing. It would be a beautiful thing.
1: Yeah, imagine more, imagine if more people who said they follow God actually
0: follow God. True. <laughs> sure. And that's uh, that's another big turnoff for people is, you know, Christians that are very hypocritical. Um and don't actually live walking in the godly path. Mm-hmm. Um but then turn around and, you know, do awful things in their personal life outside of Sunday. Sunday, we're good, right? Because we go to church or whatever day your church has church. Um, And then the rest of the week, uh, you use like tons of profanity, calling other people names, or, you know, you, you hit your kids or, you know, you treat other people terrible or something. And, and there's, that's a turnoff for a lot of people when they see Christians that don't know how to be Christians and true Christians. Yes. There's a big difference
1: for me too. And, and, and the way that I describe it is that there are lots of um, there are lots of nominal Christians, people who call Mm -hmm. themselves Christians, but that wasn't, if you go back in the book of acts, that's not how Christian. They didn't call themselves that in the beginning, Mm -hmm. they called themselves followers of the way. And that's actually actually in the book of Acts. Mm -hmm. And so there are many Christians. There are very few comparatively followers of the way Mm -hmm. because you can call yourself a Christian and and slap the label on, you know, but do you actually follow the way? And Mm -hmm. and I think that that's how I make that differentiation.
0: That's perfect because I always say uh, we are society of labels Mm -hmm. and you always have to label yourself something Yes. Or they tell you, you have to label yourself as something Mm -hmm. like an addict always has to be an addict. Yes. Right.
1: Makes it easier for people to know who you are
0: instead of, you know, I'm just a child of God. I'm a human being that's here to love other people. That's right. You know, do away with the labels. They're not good. No. So I want you to tell me um, because we, Ellie told me that I needed to have a discussion with you about this Um, psychedelics. It is a huge thing. Mm. Um, I'm going to say in the podcast world as a whole. Mm -hmm. I know the other podcasters are probably going to come after me for saying that, but it's true. That's true. Um, And I am one of a very small few that does not and has not. Like ever. Mm-hmm. And people are like, why not? Do you know how it would expand your mind? And I'm like, no, because I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I'm very firm in who I am. I know who God wants me to be. I know what my path is. And that's not for me. That's right. So I want you to talk to me about the evils of psychedelics.
1: Mm-hmm. hmm Thank you for asking.
0: Biblical perspective.
1: Yes. So uh, for the listeners, let me give you my psychedelic resume. Um, Fifteen ayahuasca ceremonies in the United States and Peru, including one of the most intense ceremonial formats of it that you can do, which is a, a seven ceremonies in 12 days. Mm-hmm. So two, two ceremonies, then a night off, then three ceremonies and a night off, then two. To my knowledge, there is no more intense ceremonial um, regimen that you can follow on Earth, and so that's one of them. Right. So I've also done uh, psychedelic mushrooms and acid a number of times, ecstasy and ketamine. I was in the I was in the dance and rave scene; that was a big part of that world, uh, as well as as well as DMT and uh, wachuma or San, San Pedro cactus.
0: I'm guessing you're in the older category, like me.
1: Yes, perhaps, you don't I don't believe that you're old. So, <laughs> hmm. so a number of, um, a number of, a, n- a number of different, uh, environments, a number of different places around the world. So mm-hmm. I, 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 like to think that I know what I'm talking about. Right. So the promise of, of psychedelics, as you said, is it, it opens your mind. Mm-hmm. That's the promise of. You'll, you'll
0: find yourself.
1: Yes. So, okay. I hear
0: a lot of people tell me.
1: (laughs) Yes. Okay. So good because you've just hit on in both of those you've hit on the two promises of psychedelics: Mm -hmm. secret knowledge, Mm -hmm. in other words, enlightenment, right, right? or self improvement, in other words, betterment. Mm -hmm. Enlightenment and betterment; those are the two reasons that people go to psychedelics. Mm -hmm. The number one reason that people really talk about publicly psychedelics is talk about the subject publicly is the promise of betterment. It'll help you with your grief. It'll help you with your sadness. It'll teach you who you are, teach you how to be happy or all those different things. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, a, to the extent that that's true, that what people don't realize is that when you sign up for that, you are getting attached to that long train, a caboose of lies about reality. Mm -hmm. So you can't sign up to do something like this and think that it's just going to make you better without getting the quote unquote secret knowledge attached to it that shifts your worldview and takes you away from God and takes you towards lies. Mm -hmm. And I can say this because that was the world that I was in for many years. Mm -hmm. I was not Christian at the time. I pursued it with enthusiasm, right? And I reached the end of that world and I saw how dark and deceptive it is Mm -hmm. and how what it is designed to do is to take you more towards your fleshly desires. Right. The promise is ultimately that you will get the material thing. You will be happier and you will be better able to get the material things you want because all is one and you can control reality with your mind and there's no God. You are God. Mm -hmm. That is the ideology, the total ideology that follows from the idea that if you just improve yourself, you can get the things that you want. Mm -hmm. That is going 180 degrees opposite from right. the direction of obedience to God and recognizing that you are not God. God mm-hmm. wants the best for you, which might not be the things that you want for yourself. But ultimately following God's will is mm-hmm. a way to have peace. And we talked about a lack of a lack of angst on earth, to right. have peace with God, peace with the world, and eternal life. Following the path of psychedelics is taking you in the opposite direction of that, no matter what they say. No matter what they say.
0: So did you feel a lot of angst when you were doing that on a (laughs) semi-normal basis? Oh, yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, what I just saw, you know, and oh, what I felt. Because a lot of people will tell me about their experiences and how frightening it was for them Mm -hmm. and the, the things that they saw and like the... I don't even want to get into things that people have described to me. Mm -hmm. I've seen some horrifying things. I thought, why in the world? Like, once would have been way too much for me, but to see those things and to keep going back for that, I I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. What is the draw for that?
1: The draw... Is there's a, there's a bunch of them. There's a bunch of different draws. One of the draws, and this is in no particular order. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: One of the draws is it makes you feel like you're part of something, Mm -hmm. right? There's a whole world.
0: (laughs) Like the thing I said earlier. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So, so there was, so some of the ayahuasca ceremonies that I did were in the United States. Mm -hmm. And this was in a, it was in a community in, in Berkeley, actually. They did them underground and they would meet at a house every month, something like that, one weekend per month. And it was a pretty tight-knit group of people who would meet every month. And it was a social, it was almost, I don't want to call it a social thing because they treated it as very sacred, but they felt like there was a feeling of being part of something. And with mm-hmm. the growth and popularity of ayahuasca that you see among your fellow podcasters, mm-hmm. people get to feel like they're part of something. Mm-hmm. That's one motivation. Right. The other motivation is not only do you get to feel like you're part of mm-hmm. something, you get to feel like you're part of something secret, like oh, we have our secret club with our secret language. And have secret you done
0: society? Hmm. Yes.
1: Have you done the thing? Oh, well, then you don't understand what it's like to be on the inside,
0: mm-hmm. right? That's
1: and that, so it's like it's a it's a it's another add-on to feeling like you're part of something. The third thing is is like you people do actually experience a relief of what might call psychic stresses and psychological burdens as a result of as a result of these practices. The, but I'll tell you what happens, and I'll tell you why it's why it's it's not what people think it is. So one of the things that happens when you take a psychedelic, it does in fact open your mind. What does that mean? What does it say? To open your mind. What psychedelics do is they sensitize you, they hypersensitize you to your in inner and external environment. Mm-hmm. So ayahuasca, in particular, is generally done in the dark because in in the quiet because you get very sensitive to light and to sound and to smells mm-hmm. and everything. Your senses are- Colors. Super, yes, mm-hmm. colors are super heightened. So in a traditional environment, ayahuasca is done in almost the pitch black, maybe like one candle illuminating the whole room just so you can orient yourself. So that's the traditional environment. No, like there's singing by the ayahuascaros, they will, they will sing to you, but there's no like loud music flashing lights or anything like that. Cause it's just way too much. Cause you're so hypersensitive. In addition to being sensitized to your outer environment, you're sensitized to your inner environment, to your emotional state, to Mm -hmm. repressed grief, shame, trauma, et cetera, Mm -hmm. memories, right? right? And so these can surface to be dealt with, cried out, released, and, and surrendered so you can be free of the psychological burden of the trauma because we stuff, we tend to stuff grief and, and trauma down in our bodies. We don't just process mm-hmm. we it, store
0: it. We store things like that at a cellular level. Yes,
1: exactly. Yeah. Robert Sapolsky, he was a Stanford biologist. I think he wrote a book about like why, why animals, I wish I could remember the name it had a great title. Why animals don't have trauma. Like for mm-hmm. example, if, if a dog, God forbid, gets into a, is in a car and gets into a car accident the dog will jump out of the car and like shake it all out and then be fine mm-hmm. humans we store trauma and it gets into our cellular level that has to be accessed and released and so these psychedelic uh, drugs allow you to get into the the memories and and release them from a from a cellular level and so and and, and that's a one-time and done thing right mm-hmm. and so you do experience a lightning of your psychic Stress, trauma, burden, right? So that does that. Now, the amount of work required to accomplish that is enormous. Mm -hmm. So, like, so it's really, really difficult to get rid of that. Now, you do experience a shift, but the thing is, is that the well of of trauma, of grief that lives within many of us is enormous. You never get all of it out, right? Mm -hmm. Now, that might sound like something that someone should do. Now, I could tell you, having done a lot of this work around the world, the amount of time, money, and energy that I put into it for the amount of progress that I made, right, was nothing compared to what I have experienced in sanctification by the Holy Spirit over the past like two to three years. Absolutely. Not even close. Mm -hmm. Like the go kart version of a race car, the Burger King hamburger version of a ribeye steak. Not even (laughs) close. It's, It's happening so, I want to say fast, and so much, and so deeply, and in such an accelerated pace, I'm completely being reformulated as a person, and I don't have to do anything. Like Mm -hmm. I don't have to drink medicine and turn myself inside out crying or vomiting or anything like that, right? And I don't have to adapt all these these weird beliefs about reality that lead me to deny the existence of evil. I don't have to... to, to, uh, degrade my boundaries as a being and just kind of be one with the cosmos, which is essentially toxic to men. It's very toxic to men's masculinity to have to constantly be tearing down your boundaries because you as a man are designed to establish and enforce boundaries and psychedelics force you to dissolve those boundaries. So that's why you have a lot of effeminate men in the new age world one way, or you have definitely men with loose sexual morals, Like look at Aubrey Aubrey Marcus, Aubrey Marcus is the big podcaster talking about ayahuasca. What happened with his wife? They got into partner swapping and then what happened? She divorced him, right? Right? She's sleeping with other guys and then their marriage falls apart. Why? Because he can't protect his own wife from falling in love with another man. Right? Mm -hmm. Like, look, I don't know Aubrey and and I'd be grateful to talk about this with him at any point, but that's an example of what happens to men when they come into these environments is they lose the ability to enforce boundaries. So it's absolutely masculinity. And so rather than going that direction and losing what it means to be a man and losing your ideas about reality to experience just a small amount of betterment, you can instead repent, Mm -hmm. believe, find faith, find security in the world, find eternal life and experience so much greater betterment than you could ever experience with a drug. You just have to go this way. Which to be the opposite direction, the way the world's going.
0: I think a lot of people too are uh, like, they'll do, you know, the ayahuasca ceremonies and, and, you know, do mushrooms and all kinds of stuff, but they are terrified to accept God. It's mm-hmm. easier for them to do these other things because it feels better and it's it's not as difficult. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, but and that's them. those are the things that I those are the things that I hear all the time, and I'm like, but you're going in there, running in the wrong direction because he literally doesn't want you to be burdened, you know, with all of these things, and that's what I, I talk to people a lot about like praying for them to be unburdened and the chains of, you know, chains to be broken that are binding them, whether it's you know mental, uh, spiritual, whatever it is that's holding them back or addictions or or anything like that. Yeah. F- for that to be broken so that they can heal because we're not supposed to, like even therapy is kind of a setup. And I know people are going to probably not be happy about me saying that, but it's true because it never gets to the absolute root cause and you never rely on God to fix things. Yes. You rely on another human or you rely on medications yep. and God is literally the only person that can fix your problems. Mm-hmm.
1: It's, it's very true. And as someone, me personally, who's, life was immensely benefited by therapy. Mm-hmm. I can say, and I, 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 I went there with my therapist. Mm-hmm. I told him, I told, this was long before I became a Christian. The notion of being Christian couldn't have been further from, from, from my mind. Right. Literally. And I said that I found, because I, I would go deep inside myself in these sessions. Cause he and I would meet mm-hmm. weekly for two years. And I just, I love doing this kind of work. Mm-hmm. I, I, I told him that deep within myself, I found these things, that felt like cinder blocks
0: mm-hmm. that were
1: just at the bottom of my heart. And no matter what, I couldn't get under them. I mm-hmm. couldn't get inside. I couldn't move them. Yep. And, and, and from a from a philosophical, theological standpoint, at the moment, I was like, I wonder if this is original sin, but this didn't exist in my world. So, the, so I, like, I didn't know much about it, but I'm like, okay, that seems like that would be something that would be written inside my very being. Very mm-hmm. heavy at the bottom of my existence. And I mentioned this, not the original sin part, but I mentioned this to my therapist. And he said, you know, there are just some things in life that we can never, we that are just part of us. And one of the craziest things that started happening once the sanctification process really started taking hold in me about two hours in, mm-hmm. those cinder blocks started to move. Mm-hmm. They like God moved them. The mm-hmm. Holy Spirit moved them. This right. impossible thing that, that modern therapy had told me that I have to live with, this grief at the bottom of my being, the shame at the bottom of my being that I have to live mm-hmm. with forever. That's what the, the, one of the best therapists in San Francisco told me, mm-hmm. you know, and best in, and not best like in terms of a claim, but like it right. worked for me. He's like, you just probably will have to live with that. God mm-hmm. moved that.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: this is why therapy doesn't not have they do have, they don't have it right. They, they definitely don't have don't have it right. And if I could just add one more thing onto that, the New Age world doesn't have a notion of sin. In the right. New Age world, things are done to you because and and you, people have to apologize to you because you are innately good, and you just need to rediscover your innate goodness. Right? You're, there's a there's a victim ideology that word is never used. Exactly. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now. So you are innately good and people do things to you and you need to get people to apologize to, or you need to forgive them if you can't get them to apologize. You are, you are good and you are perfect exactly you as you are and and you have been mistreated. Okay. Mm -hmm. Christianity says the opposite. Christianity says you are not innately good. The situations that you got into where someone might've done something wrong to you, you might have been in sin, breaking God's law to be there in the first place absolutely right. did you get mm-hmm. for for example you know I'll, I'll, I'll phrase this this way you know did did you get mistreated by a boyfriend or girlfriend Absolutely. Right? yes mm-hmm. well can i ask you were you sleeping with them oh you were oh okay mm-hmm. so did was that consensual yes okay so you were in sin you were fornicating you got yourself mixed up emotionally with someone that you shouldn't have right and then pain resulted so rather than believing that you were a victim of someone who mistreated you because they're a narcissistic man or woman doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Instead, you take it responsibility and realize I was there, I was breaking God's law, and I mm-hmm. repent for that and I accept my responsibility in that. And I repent and I will never do that again. And then you are free. And mm-hmm. then you're free, but you just can't do that pleasurable thing anymore. <laughs> right.
0: And that, you know, sometimes that's a those kind of things are such really hard. Lessons for us to learn as human beings. And uh, the one thing that I always say like, I had a horrible marriage before, not the person I'm married to now, thankfully. Praise God. And, you know, I had all kinds of bad things happen. And I finally came to the realization that I am absolutely not walking the path that He has set for me. And every one of those situations turned out to be a horrid situation, terrible abuse or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I'm like, thank you for teaching me the lesson. And you will, you will definitely go through some lessons until you listen to him and Mm -hmm. not what you want. It's not about selfishness. It's about selflessness. And, And you have to, serve him above all, and then serve other people. And yeah. sometimes that's a hard lesson for us to go through.
1: And the psychedelics do not teach selflessness. Mm-hmm. They they don't call it selfishness, mm-hmm. but, the, the, but people participate in these substances in order to find more personal material fulfillment. Mm-hmm. It's not, it does not teach. You focus
0: for, on you. That's
1: right. The mm-hmm. secret right? You can manifest your desires, right? Mm -hmm. And, and even like, there's no one on earth with a pure heart, you know, that I just want the best for everybody. No, you want something for yourself. And if I were to give you, if I were to give you unlimited wishes from a genie Mm -hmm. that you could start manifesting your desires, you'd start doing really nice things. And then you'd probably start getting tempted by some things that are bad for you.
0: Manifesting. I'm so glad you brought that up. I have had this discussion numerous different occasions manifesting scares me sure should to no end because i'm like if you trust god and you trust that he has a path and a plan for you he's going to provide for you he says that we can ask for things that we need and i mean need not mm-hmm. want right mm. um for me, I know that sounds silly, but I never ask for things for me. I always ask for things for other people. Mm-hmm. I, I have a hard time like, you know, God, I need
1: whatever. I had the um, same. I, we could talk about that. I had the same struggle for a while.
0: I just, but you know, for me, like there's a lot of people that always talk about manifesting and how they're, you know, they're putting their wish boards up and they're, mm manifesting and meditating on things. And I'm like, Oh, heck no. Mm -mm." (laughs) Right. No, That to me is inviting Satan in your life.
1: Yes, it is. I'll tell you how manifesting works. So, um, there's a human component to it. And then there's a, there's an infernal component to it. Mm -hmm. So there's something in our minds called the reticular activating system. Mm -hmm. This is a documented thing. Right. Where um, like a suddenly if I tell you to start paying attention to green cars, suddenly you'll notice like 300% more green cars on the road than you would have the day before. Not right. because there's magically more green cars on the road, you're just more sensitive to it. That's the reticular right. activating system. So there's a degree to which manifesting first appears to work because you more, become more sensitive to the people and things in your environment and opportunities that will bring your objectives towards you. Like there's right. a way in which like we're 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 blind to to opportunities because we're so caught up in many different things that once we focus our minds on the actual uh, on the actual things that we want we can see them more clearly. So that's the mm-hmm. human component to it. I don't mm-hmm. think that's necessarily bad in and of itself. It's how our minds were designed. Right. However, if you start getting so fixated on on bringing something to you, mm-hmm. right, something that's maybe outside of your human ability to do. Mm -hmm. And you start focusing your mind in that direction and you start, if you're, especially if you're not safe, perhaps even if you are, you know, there is a spiritual dimension to reality where your words are are heard and your thoughts can even be read. Right. And so it won't be too long before a voice can come whispering in your ear saying, well, if you just do this thing, Mm -hmm. you'll get an edge over somebody else. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you'll get more closer to your goal. And it's mm-hmm. a little bit of it's like it's selling a little tiny piece of yourself but it's never presented in like a contract that you write in blood you compromise your morals right your goal, and mm-hmm. as soon as you compromise your morals your your conscience starts screaming at you and then you have to do it again to suppress your conscience and you do it mm-hmm. again you do it again and that's how you find your way to a very bad place right so there's a point at which manifesting goes from being more focused on your goals Right to bring them about, which is a good thing. Right to enlisting supernatural aid, and I know mm-hmm. this because one of the things I also did before, um, before I got saved, was I participated in uh, in tarot and Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. So Kabbalah is uh, Jewish mysticism. Right, it's all about will working and "quote unquote" magic, like alchemy. Mm-hmm. Magic manifest, with a K. Magic with a K, <laughs> manifesting your desires. Right. And that's what that's what I was learning over the course of two years was how to enlist supernatural aid to manifest my desires. That's mm-hmm. exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. And praise God for delivering me from that as well.
0: Yeah. And my feeling on the subject, a lot of people that that always bring that up and, and talk about manifesting and whatnot, it seems like... A sacrifice in a way, because you may get what you're manifesting. That's right. But then it's kind of like you got to pay a price or got to right. pay a toll in another manner. And that's why I'm like, Mm-mm, I don't want to have anything to do with that.
1: Yes. And, I, and a lot
0: of people that um, I'm friends with that talk about like uh, the Kabbalah and the tree of life and Oof. You know, all of that kind of stuff and secret societies and and things like that, that used to dabble in magic per se. And I'm like, I I don't, I'm very glad that you're not in that now. And I'm very Mm -hmm. glad that you're saved from that because it was such a, everything, such a dark connotation to stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
1: I can walk you through the 20, the 22 major trumps of tarot and show you how it's all entirely all is one Mm -hmm. ideology. The final card is called the world. It's a person, depending on how the card is depicted, it's a person, it's a person dancing and, and the person appears to be a woman, but there's covering of the genital region because the genital region has male genitals. So it's Mm -hmm. androgynous It's a transgender figure because Mm -hmm. all is one right? That's what that card means. Mm -hmm. So if you want to know the esoteric and occult meanings of tarot and Kabbalah, it's all, all is one ideology. There is no theism. God is the creator. We are separate from God. Mm -hmm. God sent his son to die for our sins, to redeem us. We are forever different. God made us. That is Mm -hmm. not what tarot and Kabbalah is about. We are all one. We are all God, all is mind. And by tapping into the God mind, we can manifest our desires. Yeah, no, thank you. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Hard
0: pass, hard pass.
1: And that's what they're participating in. And it's it's pure deception. It's the pure serpent deception, and ye will be like God. Mm -hmm. That's the serpent's deception just played out. And again, like psychedelics, I was more interested in in the occult stuff. Again, for the same reasons people get into psychedelics, you feel like you're part of something. You have secret knowledge. It's the same thing. I liked it because it was so complicated that it was like a mastery thing, getting it all into my brain. Like I can, and not everybody can do that. So it was like a, it was like a challenge for me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think it's seductive for a very particular kind of person that -hmm. they can memorize so many different things and, and literally possess secret knowledge that other people are physically incapable, mentally incapable of possessing.
0: And, I would but, rather have knowledge of the Bible. <laughs>
1: bingo, that's you read my mind because that's what I was about to say. Is as I've as I've gotten more into Christianity to discover the incredible depth of mm-hmm. the Christian faith, the absolute unfathomable depths. It's so simple and so unfathomably complex that you can spend your life swimming around to it and never reach the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. It's like this was everything that I was looking for, and it's healthy. It's healthy.
0: You know, and I think the beautiful thing that comes out of it too, like no matter how frequently we read the Bible, there will always be a time where something jumps out at you that you've read before and it just like went in one ear and out the other. But when you need that message or when you need that knowledge or that wisdom He's going to give it to you and you'll be like, oh, my goodness. Mm -hmm. We had a discussion the other day. I think it was, I want to say, Revelation 4, maybe. Um, We were talking about where is hell. Mm. Let me look it up real quick because I I was blown away. I'm like, "Uh, what the world? We've missed that how many times? Maybe it was four. I'm interested. Um, I think it was 410. Unless I'm having a brain snafu, which happens on a regular basis. Um, but it was talking about hell. Um, uh, maybe it wasn't that um but anyway in this in this verse in, in revelation it talks about you know not hell per se it doesn't mention hell but it was talking about you know the the people that basically are not going to get raptured you know that are like evil sin whatever mm-hmm. um and it's in front of him it's at the Foot of God, and I'm like, whoa! Like all these, all these people that are going to hell—they're actually going to be in the presence of God,
1: Mm -hmm. in a certain manner of being. Yeah,
0: I was like, whoa! Scary. Well, that's something that that like, how many times you read it and it just like passes over your head. So there's always something that stands out, you know, especially when you need that message. Mm-hmm. Something I'll be like boop boop boop. Guess mm-hmm. what?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I do a I did I do a daily Bible reading method called um, fifty one twenty two. So five chapters of Psalms, one mm-hmm. chapter of Proverbs, two chapters of the Old Testament, two chapters of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So it works out to be like fifteen pages of reading a day. And then Psalms and Proverbs, you just read it over and over again. Just keep looping through, and then move linear th- li- linearly through the Old Testament and the New Testament, mm-hmm. and you know, in those sort of bite-sized chunks, it's very—it's a very different experience than reading like a whole book in a day, mm-hmm. like just one little step at a time. It's—it's it's requiring a lot of patience. It, tend, it right. ends up being around 250 days to read the whole Bible, which is mm-hmm. it's an investment of time. It requires a lot of patience, but it's a real granular way of going through it, and it makes me again very sensitive to little itty bitty stories in the Bible one bit at a time. And, mm-hmm. and it's just, it's so fantastic. It's so, like, fa- I, I think about, I think about like how many years I could have spent mastering tarot and what it could have right. cost me versus like, <laughs> now I just get the lifetime to grow with God. I'm pretty cool.
0: Exactly. Pretty cool. I got I,
1: eternity, right?
0: You know, the thing that I love too, um, I have two different Bible apps on my phone mm-hmm. and they're set to send me the verse of the day. Um, mm. And so, of course, they're very different, which comes from each one of these apps because they're not associated with each other. But like the message that I get every day, I'm like, oh, well, I need that. Or somebody else I know that struggling with something needs this verse. Mm-hmm. And so I love that. And that's like an everyday first thing in the morning reminder for me. Mm -hmm. So, well, Mr. Will, I absolutely loved our conversation. I appreciate you so much for coming on and for sharing time with me. Where can people find you at?
1: Well, thank you, Janet. This has been an amazing conversation. So I really appreciate it. So people can find me and everything that I do at rentofmen.com slash links I'm active on Twitter and Instagram at Ran of men, same with YouTube um, and then my podcast is there as well. And I do uh, 9, 12, and 15 week mentorships for men, one-on-one mentorships with men talking about many of the same issues that we talked about today. And uh, very proud of that program and I'm looking for men who want to sign up. So you can go to rent mentorship to find out all about that program and see testimonials.
0: I think that's a fantastic thing. And I certainly hope that uh, any of my listeners that need that guidance, that need that help, that don't necessarily want it from a female, <laughs> mm-hmm. Valid. definitely seek out Mr. Will, and he will definitely help to put you on the right path. So any final thoughts for you today, my dear?
1: No, this is, this has been fantastic. In fact, like as a gift to your listeners, if if anyone wants to sign up, you can use the code Janet and take 15% off, just mention it and I'll, and I'll give you the discount on the program because this has been wonderful and I'm sure that many of your listeners, you know, like I have have really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you for letting me cover so many different topics from travel to psychedelics and masculinity and prayer and the Bible. Like I, (laughs) I, I love being part of a, of a conversation and with a host who who uh, who can go off-roading, let's say. so. Thank right.
0: You. I like to off-road. It's more fun that way. And thank you very much for the generous offer uh, for the uh, 15% off for my listeners. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. So for me and for Will, thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you next time. Have a good one.